Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.com howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. Beth McMullen used to have a normal life until she had kids. Then everything changed. She had channeled her often hilarious and sometimes distressing experience with parenting into two novels that tell the tale of a life she is definitely not leading. Her latest book title says it all, Spy Mom, the story of a stay-at-home mom who used to be a spy. Beth also has another book coming out late next year. Beth, hello and welcome to my show. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into this process of writing a book? Did you always want to be a writer? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I kind of think as, of writing as my, my first love. It was something that um, I loved to read as a child. And at some point, you know, I kind of made a little bit of a jump. And this was when I was still pretty young and thought, well, I'm going to just try to write a story. I had some idea. I think I had seen Indiana Jones, the first movie around this time, and I had this idea about these two people searching for a golden scroll through the desert. And, you know, so I, I wrote it. You know, wrote it out longhand on loose leaf paper. And um, I think that was the first thing that I ever wrote. And it was like a spark. You know, that feeling of, this is really fun. I really like this. It's, you know, it's something that kind of got my imagination moving. Um, but yeah, it was always something that I considered a hobby. It was where I went for, you know, peace and relaxation. You know, some people go to the spa. I would sit down at my, my desk and, you know, bang out stories or chapters. Um, so, yeah, it was it was something that I knew I always wanted to do in some capacity. And But how, after you graduated from college, did you start writing right away, like professionally, or did you do other no. things? No. Oh, boy, no. It was a really long road. So I had convinced myself, um, I would read books and I would think I can do this. I can do this better than this person did. But I had a real 
issue with when I look back at it, um, time management. Mm -hmm. So I worked, uh, I was living in New York at the time and I was working full-time job, um, for a financial services company, one of the fortune 500 monsters. Um, and I didn't have kids and I wasn't married and I had this, this nice schedule that had all this free time and I couldn't focus my attention. So I would jot down story ideas and they would just die on the vine. I was not able to sit down and work through something. It was almost as if I had not enough pressure on my schedule to get anything done other Mm -hmm. than just my job. Um, So I ended up after, oh, I don't know, a decade um, with just piles of half-finished work. So the beginning three chapters of an idea that I thought was fabulous, but after three chapters, I lost interest or, you know, a scene that I envisioned and I wrote it down and didn't fit into anything. So it just kind of went into the pile. And uh, I think, you know, I did that for probably a decade all the time while I was working. I moved to uh, California in 1999 from New York um, to take a job in Silicon Valley And that was a much more intense work experience. So my free time was a little bit more limited, but I still had enough to work to sit down and write. And I just couldn't do it, couldn't focus on it. And then I had kids and this amazing kind of backwards thing happened where the more pressure I had on my schedule, the less free time I really had, the more I was able to get done. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was strange. It really worked in an opposite way than I would have thought intuitively. Um, so yeah, I owe it all to my kids that I was able to sit down, start and finish. And really that's the only thing that matters finishing, because if you have nothing to show to a publishing house, to an agent, to whomever you have nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's really, but it's, it's a very, I think everybody comes to it in a different way. And for me, it was the more stuff I loaded on, ironically, the, the more able I was to sit down and do the work. And when you mean the more stuff, like the more your life became full, you had a husband, yeah, kids. I had so many things going. Um, and I decided actually after my first child was born, so I'd been working in Silicon Valley, living in San Francisco. I traveled a great deal on that job. Um, and I decided it just wasn't compatible with having this baby. You know, I'd be away too much. I'd be spending a lot of time in the car commuting. And I just didn't see that as being fulfilling for me or good for, for my child. I wanted something that had a little bit more flexibility to it. So I, I left that job and I stayed home with my son for about, it was probably about five months. And then I thought to myself, I am going insane. (laughs) (laughs) I am going totally insane. I, I love being with him, but it was so intense. And it was so constant that I felt like I was losing myself. Um, you know, I could spend an hour in Target staring at diapers. And I thought, I can't, I can't be this person who spends an hour trying to figure out what diapers to buy. I just, you know, it wasn't who I, I saw myself as being. So I hired a, uh, a nanny to come. I think in the beginning it was six hours twice a week. Mm-hmm. And here I was laying out this money for this this nanny, and I felt like I can't use this time to go to the grocery store or get my nails done. I have to do something. And so I said, I'm going to write. I'm going to write my first novel, and I'm going to finish the novel. 
And somehow with that, with that really structured time that I knew I would have every week, these two days, I really looked forward to it. And I banged out, um, I banged out my first novel. It was the first thing I had ever finished. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, as my schedule constricted, I seemed to be able to get across the finish line much easier. You know, I totally get that having, you know, hiring somebody so that you can get that structure for yourself. And then Mm -hmm. that being, oh, I need to do it because I put this money out on the line. Exactly. And I've done that too. Sometimes I've had an assistant come with me to go watch something because I was never doing it myself. Right. And it sounded so ridiculous. It was like I had my own babysitter. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it's like a mental game that you play with yourself. And, you know, to me it was, okay, I'm taking this time away from my child and I'm paying this person to come in and, you know, my husband is working really hard so that I can try and get this done that I felt I really had to, I had to see it through. And I couldn't, I couldn't use the same old excuses of, oh, I have these other things that are more pressing. I really made it a priority. That was all that I was going to do during that time. I wasn't going to talk on the phone. I wasn't going to go to the grocery store. I was just going to get, you know, I was going to get the chapters done. And so Beth, I'm interested in your mindset because you didn't have a book contract when you laid out this money for a nanny, correct? Correct. And so you were kind of taking a leap of faith chance of I'm even writing a book and finishing it and not even with the idea that there'd be this monetary return on this expenditure of both time and money that you were spending. What was, how did you wrap your mindset around that? You know, it's, um, I think it's one of the more important things to consider if you're going to call yourself a writer. Mm-hmm. You have to be in it because <clears throat> you love it and you have a story to tell. I mean, and I'm talking about fiction writers generally. Mm-hmm. You have to be there because this is something you're compelled to do. And I, you know, I write almost every day. Um, it's not always productive. It's not always toward a specific goal, but I do it because that's how I express myself and that's how I kind of get my balance. Um, If you're starting out thinking about the monetary rewards, it's going to get in your way. Um, I think everybody likes to have that fantasy and to say it would be so great if I got to the end of this book and somebody loved it and an agent picked it up and it got sold to a publisher and, you know, I got to see it in print on the bookshelf um, in the store that it's great to think about that, but you can't have that foremost in your mind because it will get in the way of your ability to just be in the moment and write the story as you want to tell it. Um, so I said, yeah, I think it would be fabulous if I could finish this and I could do that and get it sold and wouldn't that be so great? But at the same time, I kept reminding myself that publishing is brutal mm-hmm. now and has been for the last five or six years Um so you really just have to have faith in your ability to tell the story and just tell it because you want to tell it and then deal with the other stuff after you write the end and you've got a finished product. Um, I just find, I find that a lot of that other stuff can be very distracting while you're in the, in the process. I mean, even now for me, I tend not to think about it while I'm working and then I, I pick up the more businessy stuff when I've got something that I'm ready to sell. Mm-hmm. No, it sounds like you're you're very process oriented. It's about the writing and write and write and write. I mean, it's not that you're living 
in this fantasy world, you're pragmatic, but you, you focus on the process of this is something I need to do. This is something I'm compelled to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't have a transactional relationship. I am very process oriented. Mm-hmm. I like to break things down into manageable tasks. I feel like I'm the kind of person where if there's too much in the headlights, I'll panic and I won't do any of it. Mm-hmm. So if I break it down into, um, for instance, I just finished uh, my latest novel last week. It went off to production. Um, and when I was working on that, it was chapter by chapter. So almost one step at a time. I have to do 10 pages in one chapter today. And when I'm done with that, I'm done for the day. Tomorrow, I will pick up the next chapter and I will work through that. And then, you know, every 10 chapters, I'll go back to the beginning of where I started and I will go through all of them to make sure I'm still on track. Then I start again, another 10 chapters, 10 pages. I mean, it's very methodical and that is almost, um, it's almost soothing in a way because you're seeing the progress, you're seeing the word count go up. So you're, you're, you're conscious of your you know, taking these steps, getting toward the end. Um, because if I think, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a whole novel, that's a little intimidating. <laughs> you know, when you sit down, you think, okay, a whole novel. Novels can be really long. What's going to happen in the middle? The middle is like the dead man's land. It's, it's painful to be in the middle of writing a novel. I know what's going to happen at the end. I don't know what's going to happen in the middle. And oh my God, what's going to happen in the middle? Okay, I'm going to go get coffee. I can't do this. So you don't want to get in that loop of where you're terrifying yourself. Um, so small chunks, you know, and you work through a process. I think every writer has a different process that works for them. I recently read about a guy and I can't remember his name. Um, he's a Japanese writer. And when he's in the middle of writing a novel, he trains like he's training for a marathon. So he's running this incredible, you know, marathon training schedule while he's working. And when the book is done, he stops training. So, you know, it's whatever you need for your process to kind of push it, to push it along. But I do, I believe in kind of small bites and then they all really add up if you're just methodical about it. And I think those are just great tips because it sounds like as you're writing and you write that one chapter and then you go back and you look at your 10 chapters, now you have this evidence of, okay, I look at what I've done instead of, oh my gosh, look at how far I have to go. Exactly. Exactly. You want to be looking. Yeah, you want to have you you as much as you can. You want the the glass half full, so that you're not saying, "Okay, I have a hundred pages, but I still have two hundred and fifty more." <laughs> you don't ever want to do that because you can freak yourself out. And for better or worse, writing is a solitary process, so you spend a lot of time with that voice in your head. So you really have to train it not to be self defeating. You've got to be able to shut yourself up if you're going down that path of this is too hard. I don't know what to do next. You know, I don't like the way this is coming out. You really got to be able to stomp on that voice early enough that it doesn't totally derail you. And that, you know, that's training. That's just doing it enough that you recognize the signs of, okay, here it comes. I'm starting to freak out. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do this instead. And that'll refocus me. So, you know, whatever it takes personally for you to kind of get back your mojo. (laughs) And One of the things that I know a lot of writers struggle with is that whether you're on a desktop or a laptop writing, people have, it's, you know, how do you stay off of Facebook or stay off the internet when you're trying to write, but maybe you're getting stuck? 
it's very, you know what, it's so tempting. It's like being in a candy store as a kid and it's just, you know, and, and nobody's there but you and you can have anything you want. It's really distracting. Um, there are a number of ways to deal with it. I have, I have really trained myself to focus hard for two hours, take a break focus hard for two hours. So in those two hours, I'm not answering the phone. I'm not checking email. I'm not looking at Facebook. I'm not Twittering. I'm not doing anything but writing. The alarm goes off. My two hours is done. I take a half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever. A lot of times I'll go walk around the block. I'll look at Facebook. I'll read my email. You know, I'll talk on the phone, whatever. And then I start the cycle again. Um, So you know you're going to get the you know you're going to get the satisfaction of messing around and procrastinating. It's just on a, it's on the clock. Mm-hmm. And that keeps me a little bit more contained. Um, because if you, if you think into it, you can really disappear all day. You know, in the online New York Times, I can disappear there all day. And mm-hmm. I, <laughs> you know, and then that's a lost day. And you can't, you've got to really think of it as a job that needs to be done. And so you can make a lot of excuses, but you still have to get the work done. It sounds like you're a pretty disciplined person. It has been an evolution. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you something that is funny about me that I am very disciplined in my writing now. I haven't always been, I've learned to do it. I am very undisciplined in almost every other facet of my life. <laughs> so I feel like it, it takes all of my focus to maintain the schedule that I maintain for the writing. Um, and everything else just can completely unravel in the background. And yeah, okay, we'll manage that, whatever, it's fine. And, you know, kids stuff and places I'm supposed to be. And um, so, yeah, it ends up, my concentration is really good in that arena and maybe not quite so good in other places um but it is it's a it's a training it's training yourself and it can be very difficult on certain days I mean I have a schedule now where I have about four hours in the morning um three times a week and I have a whole day Tuesday and Thursday and I don't get that much more done on Tuesday and Thursday when I have a full work day because I've trained myself to work in these very tight um blocks of time and that's when I get it all done. And so, you know, Thursday afternoon at about three o'clock, I'm, I'm like, oh, what do I do now? I don't think I can do it anymore. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So, you know, your mind just lets loose and then you're, you're done. You know, you're done because you can't bring back the focus. But it's, you know, it's training. It's really training yourself to, to be able to sit for a certain amount of time, work, and then, you know, take a break, do whatever you need to do, and then come back and do it again. Um, yeah, it's not always pretty. <laughs> well, and wouldn't you say, I mean, when you're in this creative process, right, where you are using a lot of energy to create and also using energy to kind of put up these like force shields of the rest of the world, right. that it's that's different than a job that's eight to five, where you may be doing kind of some mundane task and you're just kind of going through, but your conscious level is not very high. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. It feels very different for me. I mean, I worked in, I've worked in some big corporations. I worked for a small consulting company in Silicon Valley for five years. So I have some other data points about the way that I work. Um, And I think a lot of these, these nine to five, eight to five, whatever jobs, it feels almost arbitrary um, 
an arbitrary amount of time because people have their own style. Some people, it's three hours in the morning. They're totally focused. They get everything done. And then around lunchtime, they totally lose it and they, they have nothing left. <laughs> My husband, for instance, says he can do everything between two and five. That's when he's at his best. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest of the day, he's answering emails. He's talking on the phone. But the real work is done in those couple of hours. You know, everybody has their own sort of hot time when your juices are flowing and you're getting stuff done. And um, I think it's trying to figure out how to how you best work without other people telling you this is the way you need to do it. And for better or worse, as a writer, you're alone. You very rarely are interacting with other people. So you really can figure it out for yourself. And then if you're lucky enough to be able to live that schedule, it can work out. Yeah, because I noticed that um, when I set up my day, I look at where, um, where am I at my best energetically? What in the things that are have to be more creative, the things that I have to have a lot more focus and engagement and energy, I tend to put those at certain periods. And then when my brain is just done, that's when I do some of the mundane tasks, you know, right. answering emails or I don't know, just different things that I don't really have to be present so much, right? Probably Absolutely. 2% of my brain is operating. Yeah. And that's how I set up my day and my energy because it's not unlike what I learned in time management in college. It's not about the time. It's about how my energy is set up. Yes. Yes. And you can really, I mean, if you set out to do a task that requires a lot of focus, a lot of creative energy, and you're not ready for it, it's not your time of day. Maybe you stayed up too late the night before. It's going to not, it's going to not work. It's going to be painful and you're going to get bitter and you're not going to get it done. I mean, there have been times where I've been on a very tight editorial schedule and I've hit a day like that and I've just said, forget it. I'm not even going to try. You know, I will be back at it tomorrow and I will get what I need to get done in a shorter amount of time than if I sit here and stare at the laptop for the next two hours, bemoaning the fact that I can't get going. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so you do have to give yourself some latitude. There are going to be days where it's just not working out. And recognize that. Don't beat yourself up over it and, and move on. You know, come back to it. Come back to it later. Maybe that evening you'll feel really great and you'll sit down and you'll bang out two hours of work. No big deal. But I think you do need to, to recognize those things. And I find that the older I get, the better I am at figuring that out. You know, a lot of times in my 20s, I didn't have that awareness of, myself and the rest of the world and how, you know, you could feel one way in the morning and a different way in the afternoon. So it's been, it's definitely been, as I get older, I've, I've been able to harness a little more, bit more of that, that energy. And are you gentle with yourself or do you beat yourself up? You know, I don't beat myself up that much anymore. Yay. Publishing is brutal. They uh-huh. beat you up enough. You don't necessarily um, need to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I try to, you know, I try to remind myself to um, to do what I can. And I know at, at this point I can get it done. I know it's going to get done. Um, but I also think that there are days when I'm going to just not be as productive as other days. And having gone through enough of them, I know that it's not fatal. You know, I'm going to come back and tomorrow I'm going to be fine and we'll start over. Um yeah, you do have to be forgiving of yourself because if you think you can sit at your desk 10 hours a day every day, you're crazy. You're not going to be able to do it. You're going to break at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, and it's it's just not it's not a 
it's not a reality. And I think that's what leads to a lot of health problems and right. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, the stress. I mean, the stress can be incredible. And if you're putting it on yourself and other people are putting it on you and that combination can be really toxic and that will serve to sap your energy. And so you get stuck in this loop where, you know, you're feeling bad and then someone else is making you feel bad and then you're beating yourself up over it and, you know, it's round and around and you definitely don't want to be there. That that can be dangerous. And then how do you manage the summer times? Because you have two young kids. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I mean, I have this feeling every year that summer used to be, I used to be so excited for summer. And this was obviously before I was working because, you know, now if you work in a job, nobody gives you the summer off unless you're teaching. Um, and I was so excited. Summer had such promise. You're going to run around your flip-flops and your bathing suit. And you're not going to do anything. And now summer just fills me with dread. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute dread. Because the kiss of death for me is a variable schedule, something that is changing day to day. Mm -hmm. um, so I do my best to kind of line stuff up so that, you know, I have at least four hours every day during the summer that I'm working, um, you know, various camps and, you know, things going on to keep the kids occupied. But it is, it's the kind of thing where you don't get to wake up and step into your schedule. You've got to look at the calendar and say, what am I supposed to be doing today? Because today is not going to be the same as yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, you know, it's hard. It's, as the kids get older, it does become a little bit easier. But I think um, the first couple of years was really rough. So, but it sounds like what you do is you do protect your writing time throughout the year. Yes. I'm, I am really protective of those hours. And the people who know me, who know me pretty well now know not to try and talk to me in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm not going to answer your email. You know, it's my four hours. I have to have it. It's the only time that I can get the work done. Um, so yes, I'm very protective. I don't have coffee with people. I don't do lunch. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, when I'm done, I would love to meet you for coffee at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but I can't do the I can't do the, the morning. I can't give it away in any in any way unless there's a real compelling reason. Like tomorrow, I have to drive a field trip for the second grade, and they weren't able to go unless they got another driver. So I'm going to give up that morning. But I will work tomorrow night, so mm -hmm. I will make it up somewhere else. And how do you get yourself to make it up? <laughs> it's not not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> um. Writing at night is not easy for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I will say, okay, I'm going to sit down for two hours, but I'm going to edit. I'm going to go back through stuff I've done and look for, you know, plot problems, consistency problems. You know, maybe I'll jot down a page of notes of what I want to do next. Um, so it's a little bit less intense than actually producing stuff. And that I can usually pull off. Um, but, you know, you're... You want to hang out with your husband. You want to put your feet up and read a magazine. You want a little time that's just yours, and you're not going to get that because you drove the field trip that morning. So, you know, that's not every day. I couldn't do that every day. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that when it does happen, you just got to roll with it. And, and so you've turned in your other book, and so what are you writing now? Is this, is this just the process of writing and writing 
or yeah, you're working on another project? You're always working on, so for instance, this book that I just finished, which is called Happily Ever After, which will be out next year. Yeah. It'll be out in March. Um, and this is not a Sally Sin novel. This is a totally different thing that I did for uh, Simon & Schuster Touchstone books, a different publisher. Oh, okay. Um, but there will I, be another Sally Spin. There will be. I, I can't tell you when right now. So those are ongoing conversations. And publishing is up and down and all over the place all the time. So it's hard to say where it's going to come down right now. Um, but so while I was, I, I did a draft. I think I sold this book happily ever after in October um, of this year. And then I wrote a draft of it. And I gave it off to the editor, and she had it for a while. So while she's sitting on that reading it, I'm starting something else, a different idea that I had. So I've started a few pages of that. Then my draft of Happily Ever After comes back to me. I edit for a couple of weeks. I send it back to the publisher, the editor. And then I go back to that idea that I had been doing in between. So you're always working a couple of things at the same time. So right now I had Happily that I just put to bed last week, so that's off my plate. I have this new one that I'm working on, and I also have a screenplay that I'm doing with a writing partner. So you've got these things in constant motion. So you think, okay, I'm done with this this novel. This draft is done. It's accepted. It's gone off to production. But you don't get a day off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're right back to whatever is next. Um, and then, you know, your agent will call you and say, so what are you doing? When am I going to have something to look at? What are you working on? So you've got people who are, are waiting um, for what's coming next. And it's funny because, you know, you've got to be thinking about three different or two different storylines at the same time. You've got to be able to switch gears from one project to another so that you don't lose time in between. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm working on now. I'm working on something totally different. Um, and I'm also working on a screenplay. So I've got two new projects that are, that are on my plate right now. And is it easy for do you, when you write, is the one morning all just one book or can you work on your book and then your screenplay? Can you go to two different areas? I rarely switch gears. Um, I think it's kind of hard. My brain is maybe not elastic enough anymore to do it. So I usually will set out on one track and stay on that track for the day. Um, on rare occasion, I'll switch back and forth. If I find that I'm having one of those days where I feel like I can't get anything done, I may switch just to see if maybe I can get something done in the other area. Um, but it's pretty it's pretty rare. I find that once I'm in a particular world, I'm going to stay there for that, for that chunk of time. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that structure that you have of, of creative time, that intense creative time for two hours and then a, a 20 or 30 minute break is also a great way to train you that, okay, I may have all this work to do and I have all these projects going on, but right now it's time to be with my family or right now it's time to be with my kids or right now I'm done and yeah. I'm going to just sit up and read a magazine. Yeah, I do switch it off. And when it's switched off, it's, I rarely think about it. Um, and I think because if you have kids, especially when they're younger, they do require a huge amount of attention and energy. And I find that I can't multitask. So I work, I close the laptop, that's it. I rarely come back to it that same day unless, of course, you know, I have to do something on a tight schedule or I need a couple extra hours for whatever reason. But yeah, I'm switch I've switched gears entirely. I pick up the kids, we do all kids stuff. You know, we make dinner, we hang out, whatever. Um, 
but it is like living two totally separate lives because you really just step over the threshold at some point during the day into this other thing and you don't think about the writing until you're back at your desk or I'm back at my desk the next day. And how do you deal with the loneliness of being a writer? <laughs> it's funny. It's a very um it's a very solitary enterprise, obviously, with spikes of intense interaction with other people. So I can go for a couple of months and not talk to anybody in the publishing universe. And then suddenly a flurry of activity where my agent is calling me, my editor is calling me, everybody has, you know, stuff going on, blah, blah, blah. And then it falls off a cliff again and you're back to just being by yourself. Um, it suits my personality. I think for some people it's really hard, um, but I am very okay being alone. I don't need constant social stimulation. In fact, too much social stimulation, I get very tired. So I can be out at a party and I can enjoy it for three hours and then I want to go home and just be in the quiet. Um, so I think it, it suits kind of my, my needs. Um, but I also, after my three or four hours at the desk, I like to go pick up the kids at school and I like to chat with the other parents in the, you know, in the courtyard. And I like to go and go to the sporting staff and see people. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of the flip of being able to, you know, you're alone and then you're, you're not, you've got your social interaction. Um, I don't need constant. I think if you're the kind of person who needs affirmation mm -hmm. all the time, you're going to run into trouble because you really are just listening to your own voice. Um, and I think that, you know, you've got to be able to to take that, to not be constantly soliciting feedback because you're not going to get it. You know, you'll get it in big chunks here and there, but you're not going to be getting a daily, it's not like having a boss who says, okay, you did great today. You did X, Y, and Z. That was great. Tomorrow you're going to do A, B, and C. You don't get that. Yeah. And I don't really know in this work world how many people do get that because everybody is so busy. But yeah. Yeah. But um, when, you, when you're writing, do you sometimes just write and go, wow, that was just amazing? You do have, you know, I, it's not in the moment. It's more when I go back um, and I'll think, that worked really well. That worked way better than I thought it would work. You know, I don't even remember writing it. <laughs> so you do have moments where, moments where you think that I'm pretty good at this. Okay, that's good. And it's, but it's always later. It's always after the fact. You know, I rarely write a paragraph and think that was a great paragraph. I'm really glad, <laughs> glad I wrote that paragraph. You know, it's, it's later on when you're kind of doing an overview or you're going back to your chapters that you think, great, this, this worked exactly as I wanted it to work. Although I didn't even know that that was what I was going for. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think you do have moments where you're affirming your own abilities, but they come kind of after the fact. Do you, are you, I'm thinking about sports. And so like when a swimmer, for instance, mm -hmm. when you race, you're not supposed to think you're just supposed to get up and swim. And I'm wondering right. if like when you're writing, you're just writing and the, the evaluator is kind of on the sidelines for later on when there's an appropriate time editing or yeah. later on. But right now when you're writing, you just need to write. You're really in a zone. And I, I've, I've been in that zone with certain athletic endeavors too. It's very similar. You know, you sink into it, you push through, you're just going for whatever it is that you're going for on that day. It might be a word count, a page count, a scene that you know you need to finish. Um, 
and you're in the, you're in it you're in that moment and then when it's done you actually feel it ending you mm-hmm. feel yourself come out take a step back maybe you get you know a cup of coffee whatever but you feel yourself come out of that it's not a trance but it's it's in that you know you're so focused but yeah i think there are a lot of similarities um especially with sports that aren't team sports necessarily where it's really you against the clock or you know you on your side of the tennis court that kind of thing where it's more your own you're, you're relying less on your teammates and more on yourself to get the to get done um but you can feel that and there'll be some days when you're so or i'm so wrapped up in what i'm doing that i set an alarm so that i don't remember so that i do remember to go and get the kids at school <laughs> <laughs> You know, I will get so deeply sunk that time just kind of loses its its boundaries and you're just going through. And then all of a sudden, it's 2.30. I have to go to school, mm-hmm. you know, and you snap out of it. You know, you feel like you just wake up and then you're you're on to the next thing. But those are great, great days. And any writer that you talk to will say those are the days that you need to cherish because they're so productive and they seem to tap some well inside of you that, you know, you don't have access to all the time. Well, and I think in any work environment, that's what people want, right? Where they get so lost that Mm -hmm. they forget about the other parts of their lives. And, you know, and, and even the people that they love so much because they just are so loving what they do. And it's, I mean, it's an escape. It's really an escape because you have separated yourself so completely from your stuff you know, your life and your baggage and the tasks that you've laid out for yourself later in that day or whatever, that you really can come out feeling refreshed because you have, you know, stripped it all away. You've been, you've been outside of your normal zone and, you know, you can feel really positive after that. So it's an escape for you, but it's also for us because I don't read too many fiction books because my head's usually in nonfiction right. for the show. And uh, but when I was reading about Sally Sin and and it was an escape for me, right? It was just fun, yeah. and I kept going, "Oh, I want to go back," and <laughs> it, you know, and partly because I mean it was fun and it was exciting and and to figure out what's going on and you know to have my own thoughts about where it was going and then be taken right. someplace else. And, and it was just so pleasurable. And so I guess that's the only way I could relate to, you know, how writing can be an escape for you is that, you know, understanding that feeling on my end as the reader. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what I go to books for. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of fiction um, or I try to when I can stay awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it's always done for me for my entire life. It's just, I want to go into the story. I want to be in the story. I want to forget everything around me. Uh, and I love that. You know, I love that in all of my entertainment. I love that in a movie that just has you on the edge of your seat for two hours. You know, a book that you can't put down. Um, those are great escapes. And I think they they recharge. They mm-hmm. can recharge your batteries. And that, you know, that's important because we're all, I think, just burning both ends of the candle, going as hard as we can. That sometimes you do need that that mental vacation. Mm-hmm. And, and if even if it's just a five minute or ten minutes, it's yeah. nice to have. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing I have to say that I like, because as I was talking to somebody about this interview with you, I was explaining how I do like book series. I like TV series and I like book series. And I don't know if that's because for me, it takes a while to get invested into the character. But then once I'm in, I'm like, no, no, I need to know how this goes. Don't just end it there. (laughs) 
it's publishers look for a series. They really want them because once they've established, once you've established a relationship with your readers and mm-hmm. they're willing to come back from more, it's a much easier book to sell than something brand new. Um, so they definitely look for that. So this book originally um, was just a standalone book. Mm-hmm. It was not meant as a series. Um, and then the publisher asked for it for a series and I had to go back and, you know, reconfigure the last 25% of the book so that we could continue it in different editions. Um, but yeah, and I like them too. I mean, I can, I am notorious for, for TV series binging. I can mm-hmm. sit down on the couch and I can watch 10 episodes of something. If I really like it, I can't stop. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, a instance a couple of weeks ago where my husband and my kids were out of town and I was alone, you know, very rare experience <laughs> alone in my house. And I sat down to watch, um, Homeland mm-hmm. and I'm just, I said to myself, it's kind of late. I'm only going to watch a couple episodes, two o'clock in the morning. I'm still <laughs> on the couch watching more episodes. And finally I said, I have to get to bed. You know, I don't have to wake up early, but I still need to sleep. You know, I just get so wrapped up in it. And I love book series. You know, once, if I like the first one, I will always come back for the second, the third, the fourth, whatever. Um, Yeah, it's really, I think it's a challenge for writers to maintain um, quality once you reach a certain number. I've seen a lot of book series that I adore the first five, and then I find after that they're unreadable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so, you know, you have to be careful not to start phoning it in after a certain point. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of satisfaction in that you feel like you know that you feel like you know the characters. They're part of your family, they're part of your life. So yeah. That's always good. And it, and it's it's fun. I, I yeah, I really like series. Series are one of my favorite things and and I love the way that TV is changing and the way now Amazon and Netflix are changing stuff where you can really sit yeah. down and watch, you know, you can really binge on TV. Um, I did that with House of Cards yes. on Netflix recently. I, I watched the whole series and, you know, the whole season in, I think, five days. <laughs> yes. No, and I, I really like that because now when I will pick a show, here we go off. But when I pick a show like on a Netflix, mm-hmm. I, I'll want something that's been around for a while because if I do like it, I want to be able to get through this, you know, the series. I don't have to sit there and wait eight months until yes. it gets released I'm exactly again. the same way. I try to, if they have three seasons, that's kind of the sweet spot for me. So I feel like, <laughs> all right, I can get this because I've got, that's a good chunk of time that yeah. I'm going to take up watching it. I do that too. And it's so, it's so different from when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. just completely different entertainment landscape. It's really changed so significantly. Well, and don't you think the writing of television has gotten so much better? Yes, the quality is, yeah. I mean, there's some shows that are just so spine-tinglingly good. You know, you can't even breathe while you're watching them. And that's television. You know, Mm -hmm. you never had that before. You've got so many outlets, right? So you've got Netflix, which is such a different universe. You've got all of your cable outlets, um, You've got the network still hanging in there. So you've got so many different areas that you can watch. There's series that pop up on YouTube now. So, you know, you've got stuff that's a little bit more homegrown that can be really entertaining. It's very different in quality, I think, in scope than stuff you see on, you know, broadcast TV. But there are so, so many ways for people to be creative in any of these mediums now. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And does that excite you as a writer about the so many different possibilities there are? It's terrifying, actually. <laughs> <laughs> From a professional standpoint, it's terrifying because 
again, it's that deer in the headlights, the, oh my God, how am I going to manage this? And then you've got to just talk yourself off the cliff and come back to, I'm going to write the best story that I can, and I'm going to start with chapter one. So you really, you do have to, um, you really do have to take it all with a grain of, of, of salt. You've got to really maintain your, your equilibrium in the face of that. Because if you just take the publishing slice, um, and you consider the self-publishing boom that has happened, Mm -hmm. anybody can be a published author. So why would you stress out and, and, pursue a traditional publishing contract when you can just do this all on your own. So, you know, you're weighing these things. What's important to me? What's going to motivate me? What makes things feel like they have more value? Blah, 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 whatever. Um, but you do have to keep it in perspective and you have to think about what works for you um, as a writer rather than what everybody else is doing. And, you know, and that's, I think you've said that a couple of times, it's always goes back to what works for you instead of looking around at other people or what you're supposed to do or what people say you have to do. Right. And has that always been a character trait of yourself? I'm really stubborn. Um, <laughs> I hate, I, I hate that about myself in a lot of ways. I'm very stubborn. I have never liked being told what to do. I was the worst employee in a Fortune 500 financial services company where everybody wore gray suits and followed the rules and, you know, smiled when they needed to and did everything exactly as they were told. That was probably the most toxic environment for me because I didn't want to follow the rules because somebody was telling me to do it. You know, why do I have to do it this way? That's not a great way to do it. Let's do it this way. My way may not have been better, but I wanted to be, I wanted to do something different. Um, yeah, I just, I find, I find rules arbitrary or not restrictive and I rebel against them just by instinct almost. So I've, I've learned to control that because some rules are important and you need to follow them. <laughs> mm-hmm. As I'm always telling my kids, the rules are here for a reason, you know, to protect you or to guide you or to whatever. And we're going to pay attention to them, but it's not my natural inclination. And, you know, I have to remember sometimes not to say no just because I want to say no. You know, I have to listen to hear what the person is saying that I should do before I cut them off at the at the ankles and end and the conversation. So yeah, I mean it's it's I definitely have that stubborn that stubborn trait. Which is why it's very good that I spend a lot of time alone. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not offending people left and right because it's just me that I'm offending. <laughs> so and we talked a little bit about the publishing and there's self-publishing and there's, you know, there's the traditional publishing. You're going into screen, uh, writing a screenplay. What created that shift for you? Um, you know, it's funny because I tend to, the last couple of years, when I finish a novel, I've tried to work, I've tried to do something different. So I wrote another screenplay right after I finished writing Spy Mom, um, that I've been needing to get back and edit and rework a little bit. I haven't done that, but it was almost like a palate cleanser, something different in between your bigger projects. Um, because screenwriting is a really different experience than writing a novel. You know, it's much more instructional. So what you're trying to convey is these are the details of this scene. It doesn't much matter if it sounds nice the way that you're saying it, um, which is very different than writing a novel where 
the prose is all that's there. It needs to be, you know, pleasing to the ear and also convey your message. Um, screenwriting, you can say, two guys fight. There's a lot of blood. Somebody falls off a cliff. <laughs> and that's the end because that's what's going to happen. And you're leaving it to the director <clears throat> to figure out what that's going to look like. You know the guy needs to fall off the cliff because the next scene that follows has something to do with the guy falling off the cliff. So you're getting to that point. But you're not saying, you know, the sun was setting, it was an orb of orange in the background and la, 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 because nobody cares. You know, you said, all right, New Mexico, 2014, late day. So that takes care of all that. Let the, let the director figure out what that's going to look like. Get your guy, fall him off the cliff. Um, so it's a very different process. And uh, I find it kind of cathartic to do, to do that because I don't have to pay attention to the little nuances in the way that I do in a novel. Um, so it, it feels like a little bit of exercise outside of your, your normal zone, which I like. So that's kind of how that came to, came to pass. It, it sounds like kind of like a recipe of here, here are the ingredients. This is what you do without all the flair of a novel. Yes. And if you read screenplays, I'd love to get the screenplay of movies that I, favorite movies. And it's amazing. Um, there's a scene in, oh my goodness, what movie is it? One of the Aliens movies. I think it was James Cameron's. Aliens, which was the second one in that series. And there's a scene where Sigourney Weaver is battling with the alien and she's in this, you know, this robot that, that was made for moving boxes around, but she's in it and she knows how to drive it and she's beating up the alien. And it's this very kind of aggressive, intense scene. And if you look at the screenplay, it says they fight. That's all it says <laughs> for that scene. Two words. For this scene that is very pivotal in the movie and packs an emotional wallop um, and it's got some great dialogue laid over it, and it's two words in the screenplay. So, you know, it's really, you're leaving, you may have a vision as the writer, but the director may have a totally different vision that he's going to, she is going to lay over whatever it is that you're writing. Very you know, and the action has to move. You can't have a lot of flashbacks. You want to avoid things that slow down the momentum, which in a novel, you can flash back for a scene. That's fine. You know, mm -hmm. it works. As long as it's not disruptive, it's going to work fine. So yeah, really different, really different things. Well, it sounds like it sharpens up your writing as you go into these different mediums. Yes, I think, I think it does. I think it's like cross-training, mm -hmm. you know? So if you're a runner you don't want to run every single day because you're going to just break down your body. So mm -hmm. you're going to maybe, I don't know, go to a boot camp or go swim or do something a little different. Um, and that's what it feels like for me that I'm switching gears and I'm exercising a different part of my brain um, during that, during that period. And what do you wish you knew five or 10 years ago about this business? Uh, I think, well, I think the most important thing to know about publishing is that you need to take a long-term view. There are a handful of people who write a novel and they sell the first draft for a million dollars and they're successful and their career is made. But that's such a slim margin. You have to mentally prepare yourself for rejection. You've got to kind of coat yourself in Teflon and say it's going to slide off. You know, I love to write. I'm going to keep doing it. may not work out the first time. I'm going to come back and I'm going to do it again. Um, I think that, you know, just 
be prepared for it to be bumpy because it's a, it's a bumpy road and there'll be moments of great joy and moments where you think I, I'm terrible. I can't do this anymore. This is too painful. Um, but if you take a long-term view, if you look down the road a couple of years and you say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, between here and there, this is what I'm going to try to do. You feel a sense of, it's not all or nothing. You know, you're not dead in the water because somebody didn't like your first draft of the, the novel you tried to sell. You know, so you think, all right, I did that one. I'm going to move on to the next one. Maybe at some point in the future, I'll come back to this one. But for now, I'm putting it aside. I've got this other idea that I'm going to work through. And then you just keep on, you just keep on moving, keep on moving through and try not to trip over the inevitable roadblocks. Well, I think what you just said, putting it aside, it's not that it's because it got rejected, it's over with. You put it aside and you can always go back to it. And I think that's an important concept. And that space, that space that you give it, that you take from it, will very often improve the end product enormously. You can get too close to something. I mean, you can get too involved. You can be too focused. You kind of lose perspective. So if you can come away from something, you know, for a couple of months, for a year, for however long, um, when you come back to it, the very first novel I wrote got rejected by, well, in order to publish, you need an agent. You can't send things to a publisher anymore. So my first novel got rejected by, I think, 55 agents mm-hmm. <laughs> straight away. Um, and I put it aside and I worked on something else and that I eventually sold. But when I went back to that first novel, they were right. It wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. You know, there was not, at the time I was like, this is so great. I can't believe nobody likes it, blah, blah, blah. But they were right. I got a little perspective on it. There were huge holes in it. The characters were not my favorite, you know. So it turns out that it was something that I was going to ultimately abandon. But at the time, I was just too close. I couldn't get any perspective on it. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how it will work out, the things that will stick and the things that you just decide I can't, you know, this is not worth that. And so time, give yourself more time than you think. And then what, anything else that you would wish you had known five or 10 years ago? I think it's important not to discount the little flickering ideas that you have. You know, carry a notebook, write it in your smartphone. You may see something that you think that's really interesting. Write it down. Because there comes a point where that may spark something much larger. Or it may fill in a spot that you have in something you're working on where you're stuck and that gets you over the hump, that scene, that memory, that thought. Um, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of moments where I'm driving the car and I have to pull over because I've got to write something down really fast. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so there I am on the curb with my notebook writing things down. Um, I keep a notebook by my bed because sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I have, oh, that's a great idea. This is what's going to happen in the next chapter. Write it down. I may not use it, but I've got it written down and that, you know, I think that's a really important habit to start um, creating for yourself if you think you want to write novels. Capture that stuff. Capture the texture of real life, the conversations that people have, little snippets of conversation that I overhear that I'll write down because I think that is so funny. I want somebody to say that. Where can I get somebody to say that? Um, different places that you go. Um, I think it's really, really important if you want to write to get out of your comfort zone. So go somewhere or do something that makes you a little edgy, makes you a little nervous because your brain 
flushes up all this crazy stuff when you're anxious or you're in a situation that you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Or maybe you're visiting a country that you're thinking, this is not like home. What am I doing here? Oh, my goodness. You know, so I think all those things that shake up these creative thoughts. Um, and then you want to capture them because there are some days where you just feel really dull and you don't have anything creative to say and you're not thinking anything creative. You go back to that notebook and you turn through it and you think, yeah, great. This is perfect. I can add this in. I love this dialogue. I'm going to plug this in. This leads me to a whole nother idea. So I think it's a good habit to just start capturing the little things that you see in your daily life. It also makes you more observational. So you start paying attention to the things that you normally just are part of the mundane fabric of your existence. And suddenly they're more interesting because what if I had this, you know, shootout in Target? What would happen? <laughs> what would happen then if I, you know, if how could I use the shopping cart as, you know, so you end up in these funny places, but a lot of times they will help you get over a hurdle or they would just give some more texture to your, to your manuscript. So it's useful to, to indulge that habit. Well, Beth, thank you so much for taking some of your writing time to talk with us today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It was fun. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Beth McMullen, and she is the author of Spy Mom. And in 2014, she will have Happily Ever After coming out. Thanks for joining us at How She Really Does It. Each week, I try to bring inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment for you. Each show has a takeaway something you can implement to take those steps forward in your own journey. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me at my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insider information as well as each podcast delivered directly into your inbox. Have a great day and I'm smiling big for you. Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a room.